0: up y'all and welcome back to found Bytes, a game review series my name is brian i'll be your host if you don't know about us we're all about testing out and finding small high quality video games this is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find those gems that may be worth your precious resources if you're interested in reaching out or helping out feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com Tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Some housekeeping! As we are winding down the year, we wanted to make you aware of some changes that are going to be coming next year. First, as a response to a lot of the feedback I've been getting from friends about the show, I'm going to dedicate one episode each month to giving quicker, rapid-fire impressions of a bunch of games, mostly ones that didn't quite make the cut for the show. We're going to give a brief synopsis of the game and sort of reasoning why it didn't make the cut. Also in these monthly installments, we're going to be highlighting recommendations for games that are currently on sale. And some of these might be games that have been on the podcast before. But mostly this is going to be games that are currently on sale just as like a notification. And it's going to be relevant for the time of the publishing of the episode. So this is going to encourage more listeners to stay current with us while also trying to just notify about great deals that are currently happening. And if you've been following us on Twitter, you may have seen that I've already been doing this, but I'm not sure how many people it's reaching, and also I don't know the long-term viability of Twitter at this point. Lastly, uh, we wanted to make you aware of a special episode series that we're gonna start airing monthly through the podcast called Developer Spotlight. This is gonna be a longer form interview series with actual indie developers. If you are a game developer and interested in talking with me, please reach out in any of our channels. If you're a bit hesitant about it, feel free to listen to a couple of the episodes that are going to come out and see kind of what the format's going to be. I have a couple recorded so far, so I'm hoping this will be a fruitful and engaging endeavor and make for some pretty good content. We should be starting both of these changes in January of 2023, so coming up pretty soon, and they will affect the show as follows. So these monthly sort of highlight episodes that I'm thinking we're going to call Tales and Sales, those are going to replace the last normal episode of each month as kind of a breather for all of us. And the monthly developer spotlight series is going to be published as additional content on about the second or third Monday of each month, depending on where things split. So lots of good things coming to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and supporting. It really means a lot. And let's see where this thing can go next. But enough about the show, let's get into our next game. Death's Gambit is the game for this week's episode. Death's Gambit is a 2D Souls-like action RPG slash Metroidvania. So it checks all the boxes here. Some comparable games. This is very similar to Salt and Sanctuary and Blasphemous. And so if you are really into either one of those or into this game, I guarantee you'll be into all three of them. The game was initially released... In August of 2018 on PC and PS4. Now there's a lot to talk about here because this game was given an update and so we'll talk about the differences here. Let's just start with that original release on PC and PS4. It was developed by White Rabbit or White Rabbit Studios and it was published by Adult Swim Games and we've talked about Adult Swim before. Uh, they published Headlander which we've covered on this podcast. And White Rabbit Studios, I think this is really the only game that they've done. Uh, The game also had a physical release in 2019 on PS4, and that was published by Skybound Games. And then fast forward to September of 2021, and Death's Gambit Afterlife was released. Uh, which is essentially a revamped version of the entire game. And in September, it was released on PC and Switch, November of that year on PS4, and February of 2022 on Xbox One. It was still developed by White Rabbit, but this version was published by Serenity Forge, which I feel that they kind of took White Rabbit under their wing. I don't know if they like acquired them or anything like that, but this game has Serenity Forge written all over it. And then... The revamp version, Death Gambit Afterlife, had a physical definitive edition released in 2021 on Switch. And Serenity Forge also published a vinyl of the original soundtrack, which I had been begging for, in 2022. And also the game got DLC called Ashes of Vados, which is kind of like supposed to be an epilogue. I haven't played that yet. Uh, the game got that on February of 2022, uh, right with the Xbox One release. So this is a similar situation to Dandera, which is now Dandera Trials of Fear Edition. So the game is now Death's Gambit Afterlife. The game was originally released with an MSRP of 19 for the digital versions, and that includes the original Death's Gambit as well as Death's Gambit Afterlife. That's what they're sticking with, 19 The Switch Definitive Edition, $34.99, and I believe that PS4 version... Uh, the physical version that was just the box that was published by Skybound Games was also around 34 35 and I think you can still find it on Amazon for about that. The vinyl OST was released uh, at 34 99 as well, and the DLC, The Ashes of Vados, is available for $7.99. The game has a runtime straight through with the story, a little around 10 hours, and if you want to do everything... Uh, maybe upwards of 15, close to 20 hours. Uh, and the game does have a platinum trophy on PlayStation platforms. I bought the game on PS4, the OG version, Death Gambit, for $9.99, so that was 50% off. And I put about 8 to 10 hours in the original version. I remember that I did not beat the game, but I got really far in it. And then I just picked it up, but I have put about 3 to 4 hours into the Afterlife uh, version. I did start my character over. There was an option to like continue with my current character but from the beginning of the game. And I was like, no, I'm just going to start it. The game wasn't really recommended to me. By anyone, but my friend Paul and I were going back and forth with this game and Salt and Sanctuary around the same time. He loved Salt and Sanctuary. I really loved this game. I'm not sure if he played it, but um, I definitely sunk my teeth into this way back when, and I just kind of saw it on the store, and I'm a big Soulsborne fan, um, so it looked right up my alley. There is another podcast called Bonfireside Chats, which is a podcast that my friend Paul turned me on to, which is these two guys, uh, Cole Ross and Gary Butterfield, that basically review in-depth all of the Dark Souls, Bloodborne uh, games, like the areas and the lore, and they really go into a deep dive. And so they did a deep dive on Death's Gambit, a three-part episode series, but it was the original version. I think a lot of the major gameplay mechanics and, and story stuff is still relevant. But the other thing is this podcast, Bonfireside Chats, is now behind a paywall of five bucks a month through their Patreon. Anyway, just to say... I really love these guys, and I love this podcast. So if you're into finding new podcasts about games, this podcast that they do, as well as another one they do called uh, Watch Out for Fireballs, really in-depth, really, if you're someone that really likes to deep dive into certain games, I highly suggest them. They're really good, and it's really fulfilling to hear what they kind of dig up and who they credit for uh, what they find. So... All right, let's talk some gameplay. This game is a 2D Metroidvania, and so that's going to be your traversal. You know, you're jumping, you're going side to side, you're kind of platforming a little bit, and the map is what you would expect it to be if you look at the map screen, these boxes that just show where you are and where you're going. Some light backtracking. Uh, In all honesty, probably less in any Metroidvania than I've ever seen, and I really want to commend this game for that, but it's mainly going to be your action RPG with melee combat some range so let's talk about your character so what is different about this game is you will be selecting your class and while that in itself is not different you will get sort of like a mini trial period like you can pick a class and then try out the move set for a little bit before you confirm that you actually want it, which is very nice. But uh, the classes are going to be some typical things like Soldier, Assassin, Wizard, but then other things like Blood Knight, Sentinel, Noble, Acolyte of Death. All pretty interesting, and they all come with sort of their different play style or maybe some different bonuses or benefits. Like the Blood Knight was something that I picked my first go-around in this game because it reminded me a lot of Bloodborne, because there's like a health regain system when you get hit if you hit back. Wizard, I haven't tried any kind of magic in this game. Uh, I'm very interested as to how it would go. So my first playthrough, I did Blood Knight, and then this one I'm doing Assassin. But some of them are really interesting. Acolyte of Death, I think, has some story implications. And some of the save points, I think you can do special things or add more save points or something like that. There's definitely some variation in how the game would go depending on your class. But regardless, I don't think that, you know, you're really missing out. Each one of these, I think, has their own uh, sort of specialization and really cool stuff. Your stats and scaling. So in this respect, this is very Dark Souls. Uh, You have typical stats that you might have in a game like that. So you've got vitality, strength, finesse, endurance, intelligence, and haste. You could probably guess what these do. Some of these will be directly involved in scaling for damage for specific weapons, and the weapons will tell you what stats they scale with. But primarily vitality is going to be health uh, and other sort of resistances. Strength is strength. Finesse is more for, like, uh, dexterity-based weapons that you would normally think. Uh, Endurance is more stamina and general health as well. Intelligence is more magic, and haste has to do with, like, cooldown. And then there's another stat called will, and this is not something that you directly affect it has to do with you dying. And as you die, that sort of grows. A lot of comparisons with Dark Souls because you're going to be looking at weapons that are specifically designed for your build. And so you'll have like weapon types, like you'll have dagger type weapons or spears or axes or long swords or great swords, stuff like that. When you open up the menu to look at this, especially with your stats, like when you go to level up, you're going to see a lot of detail and a lot of information. So if you're a Dark Souls fan, if you've played any of those from software games you're going to be right at home here. It's going to be super transparent. And you will be leveling up a lot, probably even more so than a Dark Souls game, um, mainly because when you die, uh, you're not going to lose that currency. You're going to lose other things. So that allows you to be able to level up a lot. And so you're not necessarily going to be pigeonholed with like whatever type of weapon you want to go with. Like If you do an assassin, it's primarily going to be looking for finesse based weapons, but you don't have to stick with that. There will be a talent tree for your class where you can get passive bonuses. And every time you beat a boss, you get a point that you pick a passive ability in your talent tree to add, but it's not tied to weapons. So you can really change what you're going for in terms of weapons and combat style, and it's not really going to alter what class you are or vice versa. Your inventory. So when you open the menu, You'll see sort of blank spaces uh, where you can equip different things. So for armor, you can equip a helmet, a cape, and boots, and you can equip weapons. There's a good variety of weapons. Like I said, there's different classes or types of them, like daggers and axes. You can equip one weapon, and you can have two separate types of attacks with that weapon, or you can equip two weapons and kind of have them going at the same time. And you can upgrade weapons, and there's also a recycling economy, like... Once you get a better helmet or once you get a better weapon or, or something like that, you can recycle them for upgrade parts. There's a, a good amount of weapons that you get, and you'll get duplicates of one all the time. So uh, I found that I'm recycling a lot and using them as upgrades. Some other things that you'll equip, uh, auras. You can equip one aura at a time, and it just adds a certain like passive buff or something like that. Some of the auras... If you die, they will disappear, so make sure to read the description about that. And then you'll have feather plumes. These are kind of like Estus flasks, so they'll be healing items that you can use, and then when you go to a resting point, you'll be able to replenish these. You can equip different things for this. You can equip different plumes. So, like, the amount of health that you get for using one of these is going to be dependent on what you equip for it. So you're going to find better plumes that'll heal you more with each use. Like one that you get early on will actually be like a quicker heal, like it'll happen faster. And then so you'll get, just like you'll get better capes with like passive abilities, you'll get better plumes that'll help you, you know, recover health or even other added bonuses. And so I really like this because it kind of, Puts a different spin on, like, not having to upgrade the Estus Flask or anything like that. Like, you're just finding different plumes. And it's not always, like, the the newest one you find is the best one. Like, depending on the strategy of, like, a boss fight or where you're going in an area, one of these might work better than the other. And you'll find a lot of consumables, things that you'll use, like, in battle and whatnot. You have quick slots just like you would in Dark Souls. So, like, Feather Plume is going to take up one spot, and then you'll have, I think, four more. And you can cycle through them with the D-pad. And there'll be, like, you know, health items. There'll be, like, stamina recovery. All kinds of things like that. When you're in combat, and again, you can have one weapon or you can have two weapons. There's no, like, trade-off. You don't have to switch hands or anything. You just hit the one button to attack with the one weapon. I like having... Like a quick weapon in one slot and then like a long thing like a spear in another. Depending on the situation, if there's a bunch of guys in a row, I might throw the spear. There's not a whole lot of synergy with combos, but it is pretty quick and and nice to just like go back and forth between uh, different weapons. There is blocking. You can equip a shield. And if you hit block at the exact right time, you'll parry the enemy and then they'll be stunned. And then if you just hit attack, you'll do like a special attack and most likely... Kill them. It's not very intuitive for me to get this. I've gotten it a couple times, but it's something that, like, in the heat of the moment, I forget that I can do. So it can be a bit frustrating. And there are some enemies that, like, you have to parry or you have to block. There's one enemy pretty early on that has, like, dragging this axe and then it has, like, a spike shield in front of it. You can jump over it, but then he'll just put the shield on the other side. So, like, you have to wait for him to hit the axe and parry him. But it's just such a pain, especially because uh, you can't roll through an enemy like that. So there is rolling through. You have a a dodge button where you can roll through certain enemies. So sometimes it gets a little frustrating, but I also don't feel like it's that big of a deal. Like if you're struggling with the parrying with a simple enemy, like you might get hit a couple times. But uh, eventually you'll be fine if you just kind of soldier through it. You'll also have abilities that you can use in combat and you can equip up to three. Now, a lot of these abilities are going to be weapon-specific. Like, the one that I have pretty early on for the Assassin is, like, you stab with the daggers, and it, like, does a certain percentage of damage, and then for the next, like, 10 seconds or 30 seconds or something like that, you'll have, like, increased damage or something like that. Some of the ones that are with a spear are pretty cool. You can, like, charge through a bunch of enemies. But not all these abilities are going to be weapon-specific. Some you can just equip uh, and use whenever. And once you use one of these... They're going to have a cooldown period so you can't just spam them most of these are going to require soul energy if you're looking at the main screen while you're sitting there um, the ui has three meters on the top left so you've got your hp at the top in the middle you've got stamina and then at the bottom you have soul energy and if you're just sitting there the soul energy meter is probably empty and so this fills as you hit and kill enemies, but it constantly ticks down. You can't use an ability unless you have enough soul energy, so you need to like swipe at an enemy a bunch of times, and then you can start to use some of your abilities. Not all of them are going to require soul energy. Some you can do just normally. I like this economy. I also like the ability to kind of vary your different skills that you use with different weapons. So like if you have three slots... And I'm using daggers in one hand and a spear in another. I might use one of my ability slots for the spear and then the other two for the dagger. Or like one for the dagger, one for the spear, and one that is not weapon specific. So I like that there's like this variation that you can do and I like the customization there. When you kill enemies, you're going to get this currency called Essence just like you know Souls and Dark Souls or Blood Echoes and Bloodborne. This is what you're going to use to level up, to buy items. And so you're going to be looking for shops to do this. And primarily where you're going to do all of this is in the hub. And the hub is like the main area that you go back to. It's kind of like the central area in the game. And when you go here, there are a couple different shops. There are a ton of NPCs. Uh, There's like the main death statue which is where you level up and where you rest kind of like your bonfire but there are also a bunch throughout that you can do the same thing and you can also buy consumables you can buy weapons you can talk to npcs and you can learn abilities from npcs so this hub is not like in a teleported place or anything like that it's like central in the map and so you will find yourself manually coming back here a bunch from a travel and map perspective It might feel a bit metroidvania because of that, but personally, it didn't get on my nerves having to like physically go back to the hub or or whatnot, because like I said, it is a central location. The game is really good about traversing, about gating you off, telling you you can't go to certain areas, but at the same time, not confusing you or making you backtrack to go to certain places. Like it's not like you go down this really long place and then you see a door that you can't pass. Like, it won't let you go far down a path if you're not ready for it or if they don't want you to go there. But what's good about it is, like, there's not one place to go at one time. There are multiple paths that you can go from, especially in the beginning of the game from the hub. I do encourage you to explore and just kind of react to what you're given or whether you're blocked off and whatnot. Because there's not really a place where you shouldn't be going that you can go to. In terms of fast travel, underground, like directly down, is like this sewer straight line, and you have a horse. And the horse essentially is going to be able to travel straight. It's not going to be anything combat related, like you don't have to fight while on the horse, but the horse just runs. I think this is meant to be a system where it unifies all the areas and makes it easier to also get back to the hub. As you progress through, the horse won't be able to move further, so that's kind of communicating to you like, hey, you might need to go up here or like, open up some things up here or like, go to this area now. There is literal fast travel where you can kind of jump, I think, between the, the death statues, which are like the bonfires, but I think you need to beat a certain boss for access to that. Speaking of the death statues, so these are placed throughout the game you can rest here reset the amount of plumes that you have versus what you used it'll reset the area so the enemies in the area area you can equip different abilities you can level up by spending that soul essence and you can also recover plumes so this is what's interesting about dying because when you die you don't lose the currency you actually lose one of your plumes and it stays where you were much like you would have to go and recover the currency But what's interesting is you can actually just spend currency at the death statue to recover lost plumes. Also at the death statues, you can augment plumes. So you can actually trade them in temporarily for increases in damage output. This promotes like this different economy again, going along with being able to equip different plumes that do different kind of passive abilities when you use them, I feel like this is a fresh take on the Dark Souls genre that hasn't really been touched upon. Progressing through the game in general, so there are bosses, sometimes these bosses are going to be optional, and then sometimes they're going to unlock new areas or going to be story elements. Something that's new in this version of the game is you gain like move sets by beating certain bosses. So like a dash in the air or like a double jump, stuff like that. But also what's important here is talent points and being able to put them towards like class passive abilities. And I'm also finding that you can multi-class and I don't know when you're able to choose that, but that's something that you can also put talent points towards. Something that is also cool is after you beat a boss, there will be an icon that stays in the arena and you can re-challenge the boss in I think what's called heroic mode. So you can play the boss in a more challenging Uh, Way And then to the contrary, there's also ways to make the boss easier for you. As you're exploring a certain area, you'll find, I think, up to two boss journals. Essentially, they give you a little insight on the boss. And I think it's like plus a certain damage percent towards that boss. So I think like if you get one boss journal, it's like your attacks do 5% more or 10% more or something like that. Dying is a major thing in this game. Dying is going to be how you advance a lot of plot points. And it is necessary, and you will get story cutscenes, and like you'll play through memories and things like that. Even more so than the Dark Souls games or Bloodborne, dying is necessary. And I found that even when I was really struggling with a boss, afterwards it almost seemed like I was supposed to get my ass kicked because there is a feeling of progress through the struggle throughout the whole game, not just in the beginning, like in mid game. It's like you're dying, and then you're having like a very serious cutscene or like. You come back, and like the character that you were fighting is like, how are you back, and all this stuff. And you're going to be interacting a lot with Death, the character. I love these interactions, and I think it really brings a lot out of the game. And just general in terms of accessibility, I know we talked about some stuff. I just like the extensive customization, and you can respec. You can respec your leveling up like what stats you're putting uh, points into you can respect your talent points and there are a lot of like i said choices to go and there's a very like bounce off mentality like if you're going in one direction and you're at this boss and you're really just banging your head against the wall you can go in different areas you can go level up fairly easily let's talk the vibe of this game so visually the game is super pixelated but what's crazy is how extensive the detail is in the mannerisms of these characters and you would think like oh they're pixelated you can't really tell but it's unbelievable how much information and detail they give away physically with these characters whether it's just like breathing heavily or the environments in general like waving grass when you get on the horse or like the horse is just sitting there there's so much detail in just idiosyncratic movement as you're talking to characters there are dialogue busts and these are often emoted not necessarily in real time but like they will change their expression and whatnot which is nice and the menu in general is super elegant. The boxes have like this pulsating kind of gold light around them and really just nicely made visually, like the items themselves, like the pictures of them. Audio wise, uh, if I've said it once, I said it a thousand times. The music. There's something interesting about this because I don't know if i go out on a limb and say that this is the best soundtrack that I've ever heard in a game. But i got to tell you, it's really up there. This music is absolutely sensational. It has epicness just littered throughout it. As I'm sitting in the hub or even sitting on the main title screen, my the hairs on my arms are sticking up. It's so vibrant. It just reeks of adventure, and the environment is just speaking to you through this music. And a lot of voices, uh, voice acting for the NPCs. I really, really like this. It adds a lot of character especially because a lot of these characters in general really grow on you. And the character of Death. This is unbelievably epic. First of all, it's voiced by Matt Mercer. If you don't know, Matt Mercer does a lot of um, D&D podcast stuff. He brings so much to this character. This character is just so incredible. Certainly a, a lot of humor with it, a lot of morbid humor. It is Death, and the main story here is that your character has died, and so you're actually agreeing to a contract with death thematically and story-wise overall there's such great character development whether it's with you the main character whether it's with death whether it's with some of these npcs i i think it's unbelievable and there's a lot of perspective here uh, i get vibes of like a christmas carol or like even back to the future where it's like you know you're reliving memories and you're sitting there off to the side like saying oh how was i why did I do that or, or things like that? Um, so a lot of retrospect. And uh, most of the characters, like I said, there's there's growth and sort of development there. They start out as very hard and cold to you, and then they really soften as you learn about them. I really just love the interactions as the game goes on with NPCs. And it feels kind of underrated and kind of hidden and a bit forgettable. And it is forgettable because there's no journal and there's no lore book. And this is a little frustrating I would suggest that you play this game, not necessarily in one sitting, but like don't play five or eight hours and then come back three months later because you're going to forget a lot of things and a lot of the feels. Um, and there's really a lot of good feels in this game. let's wrap up the conversation about death's gambit or death's gambit afterlife. I loved playing this game both times. The gameplay here is not perfect. Again, minor frustrations. It's definitely not in terms of combat as tight as like blasphemous is. It's not as grueling. Uh, It's a bit more forgiving. You can bypass things like you don't have to keep going back and getting your plumes that you, you died and left there in terms of value. I would say that this game is worth the $20 price tag. If you find it for under $10, it's an absolute steal. This is an epic game. It has so much heart. It has an incredible story and characters. The music is unbelievable. It's just so memorable. I had been away from this game for so long. I remembered so many of the epic plot points, just the feelings that certain characters give you. I remembered all that. It really stuck with me. And so to the frustration that there's not a lore book or or a journal or anything like that, Um, I do have to give this game credit for really sticking with you. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.